What's happening, people? It ain't August anymore. I'm not in Kansas anymore. I've got a tie on because I'm on my way to New York City. G-Swiz here on the first day of September, a Thursday. By the way, September is the letter U for you commodities traders out there, futures traders. The month of September is U. We'll talk about October in October, Dan Nathan. This is Market Call, 30 minutes on the clock, although we won't adhere to that because we rarely, if ever, do. Dan, this episode of Market Call is brought to you by SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. We're powered by Open Exchange. You could tell them a little, I don't know, spring, what is that? Spring hopes eternal or so, hope springs eternal. Now that we've turned to the fall and the leaves start to fall, yeah. Things are going to get very interesting around here on the market call, Dan. Well, they have been interesting the last few weeks or so. I mean, we're trying to do a little bit more trading, talking about some of the things that we are mm. doing and how we're expressing them. Tom Sosnoff has been, uh, I think, a really fun addition to that because he is just one of those guys who's trading 24-7 or so. So we're definitely going to update some of the trade ideas we've been talking about on market call over the last few weeks. But Guy Adami, I mean, listen... We thought that rally was getting long in the tube. It overshot where both of you and I thought it could get, right, off of those June lows into the mid-August highs here. I think, you know, you and I were just on our Fast Money call. We do a call at 1230 with our producers, the host, and the fellow panelists. And you were just saying, if there's ever going to be a day that they're going to rally him off of, you know, just kind of a multi-day sort of low, it's got to be today. So, So, you know, and I actually thought, well, it's going to be a tough one today. So talk to me why you're thinking that right now. Yeah, and I'm looking at my screen here, Dan. And as I, oh, oh actually, yeah. could you hold these for me real yeah, quick, Dan? Yeah, sure, Thank sure. You. Well, I'm actually going to try them on because I actually could use these for a second here. Actually, was... you know what? This is not my prescription. I'm going to give them back to you. Hold on. Oh, you give them back to me? Okay, please. Thanks. Yeah. That was nice of you. So, all right. Yeah, so, you all right, so now you're looking at your fax set machine. All right, go ahead. And that was and so we'll, good. That wasn't even rehearsed, by the way. Yeah. There are people snorting in the background. <laughs> EY, that's you. Now, the reason, look, again, I think we've done a decent job of navigating this. It happened later than I thought it would happen. I thought this yeah. would take place late July, early August, but here we are. Now, why did I say today, if they were going to rally them, it's today, first day of a new month. Things are really trading at extremes. The move in the bond market is ridiculous. Today feels like one of those days where you could have one of those mind-numbing reversals to the upside. And I'm actually holding out hope that still happens. But if it doesn't, for whatever reason, I think it speaks to a greater problem in the market, something we've tried to illustrate for many, many months now, Dan. Yeah, well, here's the reason why I said on that call, it's not likely to happen today. The only way it could happen is if you have you know, Apple and Microsoft and some of these groups that are showing some decent relative strength, maybe the banks you know, really do that reversal here. And, and again, but I'm, I want to talk about what's going on with semis. I want to talk about what's going on in software. I just don't know how you could see a broad market rally. You know, Yesterday, we were bringing up NVIDIA and mm-hmm. Salesforce because we were saying we think these are two important stocks, but they're also important companies where they sit in the economy and the sort of guidance that they've recently given here. And we thought that these things are going to make new 52-week lows any day. Well, overnight, you got that headline about export restrictions as it relates to some semiconductor companies, specifically NVIDIA. And look at this, man. You have a down 11% move on a stock that, again, was set to be a trillion-dollar market cap company a year ago and now is down 50% on the year at least and a lot more from its all-time highs. Think about that. A move of 11%, a move of this magnitude, to your point, having already sold off north of 50%, a company that everybody thought would be the next, not only $1 trillion company, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that thought it would double from there. And look, 
whatever, it still might happen at some point, but it ain't happening now. And I think we were quick to point out when NVIDIA guided on gaming revenue probably a month and a half or so ago, and it took the first leg lower, and they did not report earnings until I believe August 24th. We said, look, that might be the first shoe, but it's not the last. And I think we put that out there a number of times. So here we are. At a certain point, Dan, I think you would agree that just on valuation alone, price to sales, NVIDIA is going to be a really interesting stock. The problem is in this environment, it isn't yet. And I don't think it's all that close yet either. So there still feels to be some more pain ahead. Again, you know, the ETFs then get sold off. That sort of exaggerates the entire move in the individual stocks. We'll see what happens, but I'm certainly not bullish here. Well, here's the deal. And you just mentioned valuation. And again, great company, great management, great moats there. I mean, obviously, they are really exposed to some huge emerging secular shifts, and that's fantastic. But right now, you know, we said this last week after their guidance, which was just came, what, a week and a half after their negative Mm pre-announcement, that these sorts of things in industries like this do not fix themselves in one quarter here. So again, when you talk about valuation, and I've been saying this for a while, a company of this market cap, which is a semiconductor. Basically, you know, they make chips, right? Trading at where it was 25 times sales makes absolutely no sense until this thing trades at a single digit multiple of sales. It's not done going down. You see the chart there. It probably looks more like, I don't know, 130 or so. Let's look at the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semis again, because look at this guy. Obviously, you know, Taiwan Semi, NVIDIA, AMD, huge components here. But when you look at how far that is above its pre-pandemic highs here, and if we were to go into a semiconductor sort of led recession, as it will be, you know, if you however you want to call it, in tech, I mean, there is room to the downside in this ETF. No, and look, you got to give kudos. Well, first, you've been saying it for a while, but if you watch Fast Money, Steve Grasso was saying it earlier this year as well, the potential for double ordering and, and yeah. how that's going to manifest itself in the back end of the year, and it's exactly playing out. So- Valuations, not compelling. Demand problem, not great. And then you have a whole host of other reasons as well to be negative. Broader market and what's going on between China now and Taiwan sort of rearing its ugly head again. So you don't have a lot of pillars of bullishness right now. And again, at a certain point, the bullishness will come in the form of valuation in stocks that are just too beaten up. But unfortunately, again, my opinion, we're not there yet. I mean, certain semi-names, I think you can make a compelling case for. Qualcomm being one of them, but even AMD, as good as AMD is a stock that has also been cut in half since its recent all-time high six or seven months ago, it's still expensive on valuation. Right. And here's the second reason why I don't think the market's going to reverse today is what's going on with uh, in the software space here. You see MongoDB down 25% on the day alone due to its guide, Okta down 35%. You think of these companies, people were like, there was nothing that they wouldn't pay as far as valuations for these names on the way up over the last couple of years. And you're seeing them, you know, single-handedly being dismantled and they're likely to make new 52-week lows. And again, on a multiple of sales, I mean, Okta is already making new 52 52-week lows. These are still in the teens. And again, I think until they are a nice Gaiadami hat size, what are you, seven and three-eighths or something like that as far as a multiple of sales, I just don't think how these stocks can bottom until they kind of overshoot to the downside on those valuations. So I like metrics. what you did. They're seven and yeah. three, you know, three, seven, five, by the way, is three-eighths. I could actually rattle those off. Well, five-eighths is six, two, five. I mean, back in the day, we actually needed to know that, Yes, Dan, we did. What are 15 teenies? 15 teenies. 
9375. I got you, bro. I had to I mean, learn I'll go all, all day of them with you. With it. I mean, you know. All right, let's look at the QQQ. come in in a second. Yeah, we are going to. She know, is waiting. One half is. I mean, you Let, know. Let's do the QQQ really quickly here, the NASDAQ 100, the ETF that tracks it, guy. You know that I've been kind of rolling my bearish bets over the last few weeks or so. I started with the SPY, then I moved to the QQQ. Yesterday, if you were watching Market Call, you, Carter, and me, we did a little trifecta. we got to come up with a good name for that. You laid out a bearish fundamental case for the IWM, the Russell 2000. Carter laid out a bearish case on the charts, and then I expressed a bearish view in the markets via the options, and that trade is working out okay. But I've been in the QQQ playing for this move back. You know, listen, guy, 274.3 ish was the low in June. You see the lines that I just drew there. I kind of created a channel from the pre pandemic high to the lows in June. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. Like, we should find some support in and around those June levels. We should. And we probably will. But again, the Russell, the IWM has bounced, I mean, significantly from these levels of small caps, right? Yeah, and yeah. it did predicate it, I think, on a couple of things. Rates were going lower. So I think there was some hope that they were going to get blasted by rates. And there yeah. was this, I think there was this thought that the Fed was going to pivot. Well, all that's sort of blown up. And now I think the most economically sensitive names are seeing room to the downside. And it makes a lot of sense. By the yeah. way, if we were to name that segment, and this is just me thinking, and you're going to hate it. But I would call it the Joker's Wild, because if you recall back in the day, the show Joker, Joker, and the triple. So that's yeah. what that effectively is. All right, but Joker, I got me, you. And I'm just Joker going to cut you off here because we do have to get sorry. to Liz. But on the QQQ here, we're at, two, no, but we're at 294, okay? And this is one that I want to pick at again on the long side, okay? But to me, I think 280 is kind of that level. It was that May reversal low guy. It was a level that in July we kind of bounced off of a little bit. 280 is just not that far away here. You think we get there before there's a bounce or... Or do you think we're going to couple nasty days into the long holiday weekend in front of us? Well, today's the bounce day. So if it doesn't happen today, God only knows what happens on a Friday into a long weekend. So I think it's a lot of this to me is hinges on what happens today. And we'll see. So I think all bets are off if we don't bounce today. It's a normal, logical place for things to sort of take a pause. It's not happening yet. So to answer your question, if it's not in the next three and a half hours or so, I think it's going to basically trade down there, not in a straight line, but pretty close to one, Dan. All right. Should we do it, guy? Because this is really, yes, this is, I learned your, something, this is yours way, to do. You here. Yeah. What did you learn? Well, I'm going to show you. So without further ado, <laughs> that's a French word, by the yeah. way, we're going to bring in <laughs> Elizabeth Young. Now, I call her EY from SoFi, but I learned earlier before the show started, her middle name is Francis. So I might start calling her EFY from Ooh, SoFi, dumb, which is dumb. even better. I mean, Francis is such a beautiful name, by the way. I mean, of course, Frank Sinatra is a Francis. That's correct. That's correct. Guys, that glasses move impeccably executed. <laughs> really? Really? If I if I weren't on mute, you would have heard me snort laughing twice, actually, because so then you gave good. it back. I didn't expect the pass back. Dude. Also, yes, one half is 0. 0.5. I know you're yeah. impressed with my knowledge. Other useless trivia, pi is 3.14159. The area of a circle is pi r squared. You know, I mean, anybody, you just use this at cocktail parties, dazzle your guests. Lighten up, up, (laughs) Francis. Um, You see what I did there, guy? Uh Lighten Mm -hmm. up, Francis. I mean, another, listen, another great line. I'm sorry, Dan. I won't. No, from Stripes. I love Stripes. I mean, absolutely. All right, let's do this here real quickly because Liz has. in Wisconsin. That's where that's from, by the way. 
Yes, it is. All right. So let's do this. Let's talk about yields because this is one of the things I think, Guy, why I, again, if yields kind of stay bid here, specifically the 10 year, I don't think you're going to have this move in equities higher. Let's talk about it a little bit. You know, that three and a quarter level, you know, got blown out a couple months ago, but then we saw that hard move from three and a half in the 10 year down to two and a half. Well, here we are right now. We're through that, you know, kind of little head and shoulders that you and I had kind of been drawing over the last couple of weeks or so. What will it mean if we see the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, Liz, move back above those prior highs at three and a half? Because listen, you know, those yield bulls here who think that really we got to do whatever it takes to kind of just crush inflation, they think the 10-year is going much higher. I've been on the other side of that. If it moves back above that level, I think it means that we've lost control of the market. The Fed has lost control of the market. I don't think it's going to get back above that. I don't think it's going to move much higher. I think that there's still so much fear in the market about a recession and about the Fed making a mistake that there will be people that come in to buy it when it gets even close to those levels. And I've actually been talking about this being an okay spot, even after three, this being an okay spot to buy treasuries if you're in that bear camp. Because the reality is, if a recession is coming, we're going to see those yields drop pretty quickly if the Fed has to cut rates at some point in 2023. So I'm okay with them kind of bouncing around in this level. I don't see them spiking that much higher from here. Yeah, I, I happen to agree with it. First of all, you know, think about what we've done over the last couple of months, just in 10-year yields. We're going from three and a half to two and a half back to levels we are now. It's pretty remarkable in a very short period of time. And when you see a 16 or 17 basis point move in a matter of hours in our bond market, I mean, that does not portend good things, in my opinion. And to EY's point, I think the Fed has already lost control of the bond market. I don't think they realize it yet. With that said, the way to play this, if you think yields are going to stop, and we mentioned it yesterday, that 108 level in the TLT is sort of the line in the sand, and obviously we're challenging it. So that was a low from back in uh, the fall of 2018, and that suggests that if you're bullish of that, that yields will back up here, and I think they should. I am really surprised that yields have moved as violently as they have on a tape that's been squishy, because I thought you would have seen a flight to quality in the form of bonds driving yields lower, Dan. We have yeah. not seen that. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you made the case, though, I think fairly cogently here on Market Call and also on Fast Money that, you know, the 10-year yield, if you're watching that, you know, if it were to have a material spike higher, it won't be bullish for stocks. And if no. it were to go much lower, it won't be either. I just want to throw up this chart going back to mid-2018 of the 10-year yield guy. And, you know, back then, you know, at the time, you know, Fed Chair Powell was, uh, you know, systematically raising a quarter point there. They were trying to normalize rates. And it was that three and a quarter level in late 2018 with a growth scare around the world that caused equities just to careen lower here. How much did they go down in that Q4 of well, 2018? Well, it's funny you say that, Dan. Off the top of my head, they went down 19.9% from All effectively right. Halloween of that year to Christmas Eve. Pretty yeah. good memory good yeah no so i just i just think it's interesting that we're kind of contending a little bit with that level and one of the things you know liz you were on our podcast with guy danny moses and me last week it dropped on friday on the tape podcast check it out people in your podcast stores leave a review you know tell us what you think <laughs> about it but you actually you laid out something i thought was really interesting there and i heard you talking about it on cnbc on the ot yesterday here so thanks for not you know scooping us on this one but you were saying that to, to the equity market 
is to break the June lows. We need to really see something that we haven't seen yet in this cycle. Is that right? I'm paraphrasing a little bit for that to happen. And I'm just curious, I mean, as we go lower since we were recording that last Thursday and the price action, has it kind of changed your mind a little bit that maybe we don't need some big tape bomb? It could just be a more gradual malaise or a realization that the economy is going to take longer to come out of this. Yeah. So just really quickly on yields, I think there's one possibility for yields coming down for it to be bullish for equities. And that is if that September 13th CPI read comes in much cooler that I think the equity market would like, and you would see yields come down on that move as well. Anyway, back to what would need to happen. So yes, I did talk about this on the podcast. I think I also talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but the point being It's not necessarily that we need something new to happen. It's that we need it to get materially worse than it was in the middle of June. And my point there is that in the middle of June, we were expecting a lot of this. Now, yes, it's actually happening. We were expecting economic data to soften. We were expecting maybe even more softness in the labor market. But now it's happening. We would need something to actually move in a surprise fashion. So Earnings have held in there. That's probably the biggest, most obvious thing that could take us back down if we see an earnings contraction. And my number is somewhere between 10 to 15% for forward 12 months. So far, we've seen about a 3% guide down in earnings. So that would need to get materially bigger, at least double digits. And also remember the average contraction in earnings peak to trough during a recession, or at least over the last four recessions, is more than 20%. So having just a 3% contraction is really not signaling a recession at all. I do expect them to keep coming down. The other thing that could happen that would cause us to blow through the lows would be that CPI doesn't move down. So even if it just stays steady or moves down a tiny bit, I think that could be negative for the market. And then the last big thing that I think could happen is if oil spikes higher, which I know that we've talked about on this show. And you and Dan have done a wonderful job pointing out you thought the path of least resistance was lower. But I'm going to make that awkward segue because that's what I do. And again, the thought of you on some random Wednesday night in your footy pajamas drinking like a hot toddy coming up with the title (laughs) of these notes that you put out to me is just Uh. I have the visual in my head. I never really liked the movie Nine to Five. I should. I don't. I don't find it particularly amusing, but a lot of people do. I know everybody bows at the altar of Dolly Parton. I am not one of those people. Country music to me is, I'd rather listen to Dan's Metallica, quite frankly, than to put on like a Kenny Chesney album. But here we are. The missing link. No, I'm not the missing link. The missing component has been this employment picture, which is really confusing a lot of people. And you spoke to it now, hiring nine to five. Yeah. Look, I love country music. And one of these titles, In a Hurry to Get Things Down, there's a song called In a Hurry to Get Things Done by my favorite country band, which is none other than Alabama. Everybody go listen to it. Anyway, labor is the thing that is keeping the Fed hawkish. Always remember they have a dual mandate. They need maximum employment and stable prices. They arguably have maximum employment. And in the last statement, the last time that Jerome Powell spoke for eight minutes at Jackson Hole, he made it pretty clear that they were uncomfortable with how hot the labor market is. So one of the things that we looked at, which I thought was really interesting, is how much of a leading indicator can we find for when labor actually will turn down? And why do we care about when labor will turn down? Because that's when we might finally get some relaxation in Fed policy. So we looked at, there's this sentiment survey by conference board, and there's an element of it that asks consumers, are jobs plentiful? 
And that's what this blue line is. So that line peaked in March of this year. Usually when them saying jobs are plentiful at the peak, that leads peak employment by about nine months, which would, if you do fast math, lead to peak employment towards the end of this year and then a relaxation or contraction in employment. So the reality also here is that we've probably got a strong labor market for the next few months, which means we've probably got a hawkish Fed for the next few months. I don't think that there is a lot of other economic data that is going to change their minds. The jobs market has to slow down. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And we've talked about this a lot, you know, that unemployment rate at 3.5%. It's just such a massive outlier when you consider all the other economic prints that we all track very closely. It's at the pre-pandemic low, which was also a 40-year low. And I guess the point that I would make is I saw this headline and I don't exactly know what it means, but it said interactive brokers, client balances or whatever it was, it was down 15% or so in the month of August. And so let's just assume that's like capital taken out, but it's also so losses in, in the underlying accounts or whatever. And then you kind of put that together with what's going on in the housing data that we've seen. We're seeing values roll over. And yeah, that's a very illiquid asset. That's not something sitting in your brokerage account that you can trade out of and raise cash even at a loss. Put those together. You think about the negative wealth effect. If we do start to see unemployment tick up meaningfully, and I know there's a lot of openings here and there's some funky stuff going on, but like yesterday, you know, we just heard that Snapchat is going to lay off 1,100 workers. Now, I keep hearing from people in tech that tech workers that are getting laid off are quickly finding other jobs. That will change very quickly. And all the growth that we've seen as far as wage gains for the most part have been on the lower end, right? So if we start to see real recession, Recessionary kind of factors cause small businesses to start laying people off. I think we're going to have a very weakened consumer at a time where risk assets that a lot of people have you know leaned on for you know household wealth or whatever. I just think that's going to go the way of the dodo. So I just think it's going to be a really tough time. And if we see unemployment get to, I did Powell say five or six percent. If we are at five or six percent, this economy is lights out. Guy, like talk to me a little bit about that. You you know think about that. He's got no choice, though. I mean, that's the situation that's been created over a decade or so of largesse. So I'm sure if you if you heard him say it, he said it. I've seen. Well, it might have been some of the Fed governors speaking to that, that we need to see it, you know, north of five percent. And I guess my only point, if you go back and look over the last 13 or 14 years, when we've seen unemployment above five percent, the Fed has had very easy monetary policy at those times. They're doing the exact opposite now. And and quickly, the problem is they can't now because the one thing they long for is staring them in the face, and that's inflation. So that's again the conundrum that they face. The Wall Street Journal wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. We've talked about it at length here for months. So people finally coming to the conclusion that whatever lever they pull, there's going to be an equal and opposite effect somewhere else. It's not going to be particularly savory. So whatever they do at this point, they're going to be knockoff effects that aren't good. They're going to be some eggs cracked as they continue to try to make this omelet. I like what I did there. We all well. I want. Can I make a quick point here about consumer sentiment? And this is some of the stuff. This is the stuff that's not in the stock market. This is the stuff that we don't see in in stock prices necessarily. Consumer sentiment. I think there's a trifecta, and we have 
hit one, but not the other two so far. So the first one that got hit was gas prices, right? Gas prices rose a lot. That hits consumer sentiment. Depending on what time of the month you take that survey, gas prices have a huge influence on how people are feeling. The second one is home prices. When people start to feel underwater on their home prices, or at least the value of their home, that's a huge part of a lot of their worth. That's the second hit, and it is coming. We've seen, obviously, the housing market relax already, but home prices themselves haven't quite been hit yet. That will follow. And then the third one is, if they lose their job, will they find another one? And that clearly hasn't been hit yet either. Also, I think I saw on CNBC yesterday or the day before, some measurement about job changers having a wage increase of about 16% and people that stay in the same job having a wage increase of 7%, less than inflation. So as long as that feeling is out there, people aren't that scared. So we need home prices to be hit and then the labor market to get hit, and then consumers will be scared, they'll stop spending, and that's when you see more recessionary conditions. But my point is, I don't know that that happens until close to the end of this year. Yeah, I agree with that. And listen, before we go to Butters, who, by the way, is back from vacation, try to temper your enthusiasm, folks. Relax for a second. If we could just put the full screen up of Liz's note one more time, because I would be remiss if I didn't point out that take this job and love it, (laughs) <laughs> is a sort of a pun of the great Johnny Paycheck song from 1977. Oh, man. Uh, take this What job did you say, guys? Shove it. She comes up with these over a hot toddy. Is that what you said? I uh, do uh, love uh, a hot toddy. On Wednesday night. Yeah. That's um, what happens. You know that's exactly what's going I mean, I can, yeah. I can see it. But, but let me just bookend how we started this conversation. And I think that was a really great kind of way to lay it out, those kind of three points that you like to see. And I guess the one thing that I would just say is like, what could change? What could kind of have us piercing through the June, June lows in both the you know the S&P, the NASDAQ, and maybe even your beloved small cap index is, is just that the data is just careening lower. And I don't mean like crashing lower. It's just not getting better. And the Fed will remain very hawkish because the unemployment number is not budging for a whole host of reasons. And that's when you go through those lows, in my opinion, because at that point, you haven't had the sort of bloodletting as you would need to in the economy to kind of justify that equity valuations are just too low relative to what forward expectations are. That's my two cents. All right, let's talk about butters here. I'm excited. Guy, you're excited. And Liz, you kind of talked a little bit about what John is writing about here, and it is about earnings expectations here because, you know, we've seen in John's reporting. So John writes his earnings insight blogs. It drops Friday mornings on FactSet's website. We get an early look at it, and this is really important, especially as we're in the last month of Q3. John is citing that analysts have cut earnings estimates for the S&P 500 companies by about 5.5% in the first two months of the third quarter. This is above the 5, 10, and 15-year averages. And so, Liz, I just want to kind of kick it back to you here a little bit. So analysts are starting to get hip to all this, that they're basically, their estimates are too high, and that the data, you know, the, the deceleration and that they're seeing and the companies that they follow is happening quicker than they expected. So they're trying to get in front of it. Does this set up for a similar scenario like we saw in July, where Q2 earnings weren't as bad as expected because numbers had already come down a lot. Yeah, it absolutely does. And these numbers still haven't come down enough, though. So they're not enough to scare the market down past those prior lows. Yes, if we lower the bar, it's easier to jump over the bar. But as we saw happen in July, you lower the bar and then a company reports based on a lower bar and everybody gets excited and the market rallied and we got way ahead of ourselves. I mean, the PE got up to 19 times on a forward basis on the S&P. 
just match that. I want people to step back and match that. If it happens again in Q3, step back and match that with where inflation is, that PE is way overextended. So now we're finally in a place where on an index basis, the PE is below the five and 10 year average, not quite to the 15 year average, but it should definitely be below the five and 10 given where rates have been and where inflation has been over that period. So as earnings get revised downward, I think we come a little bit back down to earth, but again, it doesn't completely kill the bull case and it doesn't completely lock in a recession until we get beyond 10% recession revisions, 15% revisions. Yeah. And if you'd listen quickly before we sort of come to a close today, if, if you know, a lot of people out there still think you can see an overshoot in terms of multiples down to, I've heard people say as low as 14 in the environment they think we're going to find ourselves in. And again, you know, 200, $210 worth of earnings on 14, we can all do that math. And there's some people out there that think the S&P trades south of 3000. I am not one of those people. I will say this, Dan, just as an update, which is what we like to do. A great job by you with the XLU. We have a chart if we can sort of fire away Gridley. I don't know who Gridley is, but fire away. <laughs> nice job by you, Dan. You want to give a little quick yeah, update well, the, on the yeah, XLU? We were talking about basically some of the relative strength we're seeing in certain sectors. And, you know, XLV, you're seeing it in pharma. You're seeing it today in utilities. We just mentioned banks a little bit before. A couple weeks ago, I put on a bearish trade in the XLU. I think you agreed on the chart. We had a nice little head and shoulders. I also thought with rates being up here, XLU or utilities in general, not as attractive, in my opinion, relative to the valuations. And the, the ETF was trading about 77 and a half. I paid a dollar for the September 77 puts with a break even down there at 76. Well, it got to about 74 um, this morning. You saw that quick reversal. I had more than a double over the last week on this. So I took this trade off. And again, I think that, you know, I was playing for, if you look at the one year chart, a move back maybe towards 74 or as low as 72 at a gap fill. But when I see this sort of relative strength and it doesn't make sense to me and I have a nice gain, I'm going to take the profit and I'm going to move on. So that's just a quick update to that XLU September put idea. The more you know for you yeah, NBC you fans out there, September is a wonderful month for a myriad of different reasons. Obviously back to school, but that's a fun time. Football starts in earnest. Not this weekend, the following weekend in the league where they play for pay. Dan and Danny Moses will once again go head to head in a gambling competition that I will say Danny Moses dominated last year. EY will sit back and watch her beloved Packers of Green Bay play in the frozen tundra. Not yet, but as we get closer to November. The Brewers, who've really fallen on difficult times, might make a run at the Cardinals. We'll see. All of those things and Milwaukee Buck basketball are coming to a theater near you. But that's it for Market Call today, peeps, because I got to get out of here because I got to get my rear end in the car, go to New York City so we can do our podcast, which, by the way, drops tomorrow. And we're going to have Mr. Who are we going to have on tomorrow, Dan? We're going to have Phil Snow, yeah. if you recall. from CEO, CEO of FactSet, a fine partner yeah. of ours on Market Call. And we get to hear all about his company. You know, Guy, you know, I think a lot of our listeners would be surprised. You know, it's a $17 billion market cap company that's massively outperformed the S&P year to date. It's one of those stocks on my screen, on my FactSet screen. That's kind of meta that is actually green today. Comes out Francis David Squire. It's equal in market cap to Icon Enterprises, makes it the 968th largest company in the world. Rain Man shit right there, people. But that's it. I want to thank FactSet. I want to thank SoFi. I want to thank EFY. I want to thank Dan. I want to thank all the people behind the scenes that make it happen. That little glass pass off was just 
priceless. You didn't have Amazing. that in your bingo game. We'll be back here, not Monday, because it's Halls, baby. We'll be back here on Tuesday of next week. Later. See you later, guys. Bye.